Shalom. It's good to see you back to the house of the Lord. I and uh, I can't see smiling faces, but I can see smiling eyes. <laughs> okay. And uh, thank you, worship team. Right. And thank you for leading us for a time of praise and worship. And before I go into the word this morning, I just want to express my thanks and appreciation to all church members. Right, for so willingly coming for our AGM last Sunday that we just made it, right? we just have enough for the quorum and we were able to get the business done and on top of that we were able to elect our new board members and uh, of course you know as a church we would like to take this time to congratulate our new board members our brother Aaron and re-elected as a church secretary and we have a new, newly elected treasurer, that is our brother, Willie Ng. And of course, we also have uh, our returning church board member, Sister Ko Siu Hua, Brother Marcus Yong, as well as Sister Lin Ching Hui. And of course, this year, we also have a newly elected church board member, that is our brother, Ong Nekshon. Congratulations to all of you, and uh, for those of you who want to know who they are, their photos are all in our church bulletin, and this month's bulletin is out. You can get a physical copy for those of you who are in church, and those of you who are online, you can uh, get it from our church website, so you can have a take, take a good look uh, for our newly elected board members. So I would like to express my thanks to all church members for faithfully supporting us for this AGM. And truly, God is good. Amen. Yeah. Right. Now, in the world this, today, many people are living in fear. And we know that some fears are very real, but some fears are imaginative or even irrational. And I'm sure some of the common fears we heard of is that people are afraid of darkness. There is a fear of heights, fear of insects, fear of animals, etc., and even fear of wives, you know. And we know that people have all kinds of fear, and of course, you know, some people are afraid of changes. Changes to their job, changes to their career, changes in the different season of life. And of course, nowadays, the common fear is the COVID-19 virus fear, the pandemic, especially this week, you know, over the past uh, week, and we see the spike of the virus and people are becoming more cautious again. And though we know that through this virus, even though most people will recover, but we also know that close to 34 million people worldwide was contracted with the virus and more than 1 million people has passed away as a result of the virus. And that's why the virus brought fear to all people, the whole world, from common people to the elite of society. But when we read the Bible, we will find that we are not created to fear. In fact, God has created us to have dominion over the world. God had created mankind and He gave authority to mankind to have dominion over the world and we are not to live in fear, but we are to live in the authority that God has delegated to us. But unfortunately, sin has taken that authority from us and, uh, there is, and, and as a result, uh, we have lost that authority, we begin to cave in to fear as a result of sin. 
And not only that, there are some people who are in fact in it, being possessed by the spirit of fear, they need to be delivered. But there's one fear, there's one fear that is good, there's one fear that we are called to, that is to fear God. And so this morning, I would like to touch on the subject of fearing God, fearing God. And I would like you to turn with me to your Bible, and we want to look at the key text of this morning, taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and verse 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and verse 14, and it is also on the screen that's been projected to you. And it says here, let hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandment, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Incidentally, this month, as we do our Bible reading plan for the month of October, we start off with the book of Ecclesiastes. Right? And uh, after all the so-called meaninglessness that the preacher has said, the conclusion of the matter is that the whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep His commandment. You see, the fear of God is very different from all other kinds of fear. Other forms of fears are negative. They are negative feeling, negative emotion, and those fears paralyze us. They paralyze us, they cause us not able to do something that we want to do. For example, with this uh, pandemic going on, some people are paralyzed with the fear that they dare not go out of their house, they dare not go out and eat, and every, they dare not even you know, pack, bring, bring home to eat, they dare not call grab food, they, everything must cook for themselves and buy themselves. You see, sometimes fear will just paralyze us. But then, the fear of God, it is something different. The fear of God is actually positive. It is not being afraid of God in the sense of feeling terrified. It is not. Right? But rather, it is reverential fear. Reverential fear, a feeling of awe. There is a sense of awesomeness. There is a sense of uh, uh, wonders as we come close to God is what we call the wow factor. When we come to God, we just say, wow. When we behold His holiness, His majesty, His power, when we come near to Him. And I believe that even as we worship the Lord this morning, we can sense His awesome presence and we just wow. That's why we enjoy coming back to the house of the Lord, you know, because of that awesomeness of His presence. As the psalmist say in Psalm 33, verse 8 and verse 9, Psalm 33, verse 8 and 9, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revel him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. That's why it talks about you know, the power of God, even there is power in his spoken word. But many people are afraid of God in the negative sense. For example, when I was young, my grandma, you know, uh, once or twice took me to the temple. Uh, I didn't come from a really uh, religious family, so my mother don't actually go to temple, but sometimes my grandma may. But for the maybe one or two times, I remember when I was young, when my grandma took me to the temple, it was not a good 
you see feeling because in the temple I see big statues and some of them are really fierce looking and then to me as a little child to me it was not just fierce looking it was terrifying and it doesn't help when the adult tell you when you come to temple keep quiet Shh, don't talk don't run about if not that God will punish you Wow, you know, so from young, some of the people have been kind of you know, given this kind of fear, fearing God. God is a fierce-looking God ready to punish a naughty child. And because of that, you know, that we have that concept of God that prevents us from coming close to God. But this is not what the fear of God is all about. Right? This is not the type of fear that God wants us to have. This type of fear comes about because we do not know God. We don't have a relationship with God. But if we have a relationship with God, the fear of God takes on a very different dimension. The fear of God will have a positive effect in our life and it is not negative. So the fear of God is something that is good, something that is proper. And this morning, I want, to I want you to understand the concept of fearing God and how it affects us. And to do that, we must first of all understand what the fear of God is not. As I mentioned, some people have a wrong concept of fearing God and we want to know what fear of God is not. So the fear of God is not just paying lip service. The fear of God is not just paying lip service. You see, there are many people in the world who claim to be religious and they are very fervent. They are very fervent in carrying out their religious duty. They are very fervent in their faith. Uh, they perform all the rituals that are required of the religion, uh, all the ceremony that was needed, but their lives stink. They can do all these things, but their lives stink. And we can see many of this even in the political circle. But perhaps we can also see them in our circle of contact. But unfortunately, sometimes, we see them in the church. We see them among the Christian believers. And this comes as no surprise because even Jesus encountered many of them while he was on earth. Right? And in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 and verse 9, Jesus said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Who was Jesus referring to? Jesus was not referring to atheists. Jesus was referring to the Jews and the very pious Jews. To them, the God and religion is the center of their life, is the center of their society, is the center of their community. And to this group of people, Jesus was saying this. And in fact, to some of the religious leaders, you know what did they do? Uh, they were so pious and they actually expressed their religion, their faith, you know, so fervently. Right? And they show off their acts of worship. They will pray aloud. And even when they give alms to the poor, they will blow the trumpet. They will have an entourage following them. And they boast of their religious knowledge. They show off all their acts of worship. But Jesus said their hearts were far from God. Their hearts were far from God. And worse still, Jesus said they worship Him in vain. Wow, that is a very strong statement. How would you like it, you know, after the end of this service and when you went back home and suddenly the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart? This morning, you worship me in vain. 
It will be a slap on our face. You say, what God? You say, I worship you in vain? Huh? In spite of the pandemic, in spite of the spite, I'm still coming to church to worship you, and you say, I worship you in vain? Well, that will be a fearful thing if we are to hear that. These religious people that Jesus was talking about, they were merely paying lip service because they have no fear of God in their heart. Why? Because their attitude, their conduct just didn't measure up. They show judgmental attitude to other people, right? And they fail to show love and compassion to those that are in need. Their religious knowledge did not translate into practical and positive action. People who pay lip service are hypocritical. They are fake because they only have a form of religion, but not godliness. They perform acts of worship, but they have not truly worshipped the Lord. This morning, I would like to ask all of us a question. Do you truly fear God in your heart? How do you know if you are merely paying lip service or truly worship? This can be seen by your attitude and your action. Just give some example how we can pay lip service to God, but yet have no fear of God in our heart. Now, some of this may not apply to you, it's okay, but I'm just giving you some example. You see, you are merely paying lip service and have no fear of God in your heart. Now, when you live a double life, when you behave like an angel in church, but a devil at home or at your workplace, now, when you have an entitlement attitude, just because you come to church to worship, I come to church to worship, everyone in the church must give in to me. That entitlement attitude, you come in to be served, you want the usher to serve you, you want everybody to serve you, but you are not there to serve others. You have the entitlement attitude. Right? And when your personal life is in disarray, right? when your business dealing is unethical, when you exploit your employee, when you even threaten your rival, your rival business, you, know, you threaten them, you are unfaithful to your spouse or your family, you challenge authority, you are arrogant, you are proud. And, and I hope I'm not talking about any of you. But then, we know this is what it is paying lip service, while our heart is far from God, our attitude, our behavior, our conduct just does not measure up with our worship. When we exhibit this kind of attitude and behavior, the Bible says your worship is in vain. You are not a God-fearer. Wow. But on the other hand, true worship is transformational. True worship is transformational. That's why this morning we had our golden verse of Romans 12, verse 1 and verse 2, and we are going to flash it up again and remind ourselves again. And he said, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper worship. This is true worship. This is proper worship. It is transformational because the verse went on to say, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, the worship of God, of a God-fearing person is real. It's not worshipping God with his sleep, but he worship God with his heart. And I trust that all of us this morning, we are worshipping God with our whole heart. 
Our heart is drawing close to Him, and we are experiencing the transformation that's taking place in our mind, that's taking place in our life. And how do you know if you truly fear God? How do you know that if you are a God-fearing person? And this morning, I just want to take some biblical example to show us that for us to, to kind of uh, do a check on ourselves, a reality check on ourselves, uh, whether we exhibit that characteristic of a God-fearing person. Uh, a God-fearing person lives with a good conscience. Live with a good conscience. The Bible tells us that mankind are created in the image of God. And one of that image is a moral image. The moral image is such that we are able to know what is right and what is wrong. And that somehow God has put the conscience in man that whenever we do something wrong, our conscience speaks against us. Whenever we do something good, we feel good about it. We are happy about it. That is a moral conscience that God has given to us. But when men sin against God, Man has become no fear of God. And that conscience can be seared. The Bible says the conscience can be seared. And when the conscience is seared, man will do all kinds of wickedness without feeling bad. And there's a reason why sometimes you read horror way of people committed murder. And what did they do to the, to the victim, you know? And the method they use, wow, it's, it's horrifying. You, you never think of as a decent human being, you will, you will ever do such a thing. But it it happened to the world. Why? Because the moral conscience has been sealed. And therefore, they indulge in all kinds of wickedness. But a person that fears God will continue to live with a morally good conscience. And many, many years back, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, it tells us, you know, around the time but before Moses was born, and we know that during that time, the Hebrew children have been living in the land of Egypt for a few hundred years, and they grew, they multiplied, they become strong. Yes, they were being treated as laborers, they were being treated as slaves, but because of the hardship, you can imagine, they are very strong physically. But because they grew in number, Pharaoh at the time would become so afraid of them. He said, how this group of people, if they begin to grow in number, and one day if they should revolt against us, even my army may not be able to, 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 to put them down. And therefore, he came up with a very wicked idea. I'm going to kill all baby boys. I'm going to kill all baby boys. And therefore, he called two midwives. They used to you know, deliver baby, And he told the midwife, I tell you what, you two, I probably, he said, I'll give you a handsome reward. And each time when you go to the house of the Jewish uh, woman who was about to give birth, and then I want you to know, if it is a boy, kill them. Kill the boy. If it is a girl, okay, let them live. Right? The girl got no strength to fight. You know? But then you know what the Bible tells us? Right? I put up in the verse there, and the Bible tells us that but because the midwife feared God, they refused to obey the king's order, they allowed the boys to live too. Look at these two women. They dare to defy the king's command because the Bible says they fear God in their heart and they allow the boys to live. And so when the king began, when Pharaoh began to realize that, and Pharaoh said, hey, come on, what did you do? Why, why do you allow the boys to live when I asked you to kill them? How dare you? How dare you disobey the order of Pharaoh? 
And you know what these two women say? You know, you know, a Pharaoh, don't get angry. You know these uh, uh, Hebrews uh, women, because they are slaves, you know, they have worked so hard, they are very strong, they are very hardy. Each time when we hear about, hey, you know, so and so is going to give birth, the moment we rush there, but then poop, the baby already come out. They keep us so fast. They keep us so easy. Uh, the point is the moment labor pain, you know, baby come out already. Of course, they give this kind of excuse. And so Pharaoh got nothing to say, you see. And then as a result, what happened? Verse 21, the Bible tells us, and because the midwife feared God, he gave them families of their own. So it's repeated that they fear God, and because they have the fear of God in their heart, then they do not fear the king. They do not fear the most powerful person in the land. The most powerful was Pharaoh. They did not fear the order of Pharaoh because they fear God. They continue to want to have a moral good conscience. They live with a good conscience. And as a result, God blessed them with families of their own, implying that they could be single or implying that they may not be able to bear children, but because they were willing to fear God, God blessed them with children. God blessed them with families of their own. So the fear of God gives us a sense of right and wrong. And this is how you can ask yourself, do you have a sense of right and wrong? Do you have a sense of good conscience? Do you do things against your Christian conscience or not? And it provides us with that moral compass. When we fear God, our conscience becomes sensitive. Our conscience will be aligned with the moral requirement of God. We know God's commandment and we want to obey His command. On the other hand, when people deliberately sin against God, this is because they have no fear of God in their heart. Just like Pharaoh. Many times the Bible says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And therefore, he did not fear God. And he can even think of the horrible thought of killing newborn babies. Let's do a reality check here. Do you commit certain wrong knowing very well that they are wrong? Do you give excuses so that you can continue in doing those wrong things? If so, that means you do not have the fear of God in your heart. You are standing on dangerous ground. So this morning message may, came, may come as a warning to you. It may be a wake-up call to you. You see, the problem with Christians is that we tend to take full advantage of the love and the grace of God, but we forget that God is also just and God is also righteous. God is a God of justice. He will not let the wicked go unpunished. That's what the Bible tells us. And I want you to know that there is a, this one aspect of the fear of God that we must be aware of, that is we are to be afraid of His judgment or His punishment. Coming back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 that we have read just now, yes, it tells us that the whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep His commandment. But verse 14 tells us very clearly, God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. We come to God with a sense of reverential fear. But I want you to know when it comes to God's judgment, be very afraid. 
As long as we are still living in this season of grace, that God is gracious to us, God is compassionate to us, but let us not take advantage of the grace of God, but let us fear God and obey His command. Because the person who really fear God is not a person that disobeys His command, but a person that will obey His command. But you think, but if with your lips you say you fear God, but on the other hand, you have been violating God's command, like what Jesus said, you are paying lip service. In your heart, you are not fearing God. So we know that God can be very gracious, God be very compassionate. But sometimes I look at the life of some Christian, I also wonder why. I say, you know, in my heart I was saying that, hey, you know, yeah, this person claimed to be a Christian, but when I look at their lifestyle, it's totally unchristian. Sometimes I also wonder why, but yet God bless them. God bless them. And we also wonder why, just like sometimes we see some wicked people, God bless them, but some good people, they suffer. We wonder why. But wait until the day of accounting. There will be a day of accounting. There will be a day of judgment. Sometimes we don't have to wait until the end of the world. We don't have to wait until the end of life. Why? Because our journey on earth has not ended yet. There are still days ahead. There are still years ahead. But if we keep stretching the grace of God, and if we keep, you know, taking advantage of the grace of God, right? and if we keep, you know, uh, 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 not obeying the command of God, and take His grace for granted, be very, very afraid of His judgment. Now, a God-fearing person not only live with a sense of a good conscience, but next one I'm going to tell you a few cases of what a God-fearing person should be like. And we, but the example, the cases I'm going to bring to you are negative cases. We can learn something from the opposite as well. All right. So the next thing, a God-fearing person is a person who fear God more than men. It's a person who fear God more than men. Do you know that there is a great danger in fearing men instead of God? Now, the fear of men causes us to be a man-pleaser, and it will cause us to fall into a trap. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, uh, it's not on the screen, but the Bible tells us in Proverbs 29, verse 25, listen very carefully. It says here, the fear of men will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The fear of men will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Oftentimes, we please men in order to be accepted by them, in order to be approved by them, in order to be included by them. We want to be included in their circle. That's why we fear men. And when we are accepted by God, by men, we feel safe, we feel secure, we feel wanted. But do you know the Bible tells us otherwise? The fear of men often contradicts with the command or the will of God. And I'm going to bring to you these few cases. And I trust that we we'll really learn something from these few cases. The first case is that the Saul, out of the fear of men, he disobeyed God. And as a result, he was rejected by God. What happened here is that, that Saul was the king of Israel during that time. And then he was at war with the Amalekites. 
And God spoke through the prophet Samuel. And God told Samuel, he said, God will give you a victory. God will give you victory over the Amalekite. But there's one thing you must do, and this is the instruction, this is the command of God. And when you warn over the Amalekite, you must destroy everything. Everything, meaning people, meaning animal, meaning everything. And even the king, you must destroy. But unfortunately, King Saul did not do that. Yet, God gave him a victory. And first of all, he kept the king. He didn't kill the king. And then, you know, he, he and together with the army, they kept some of the best of the animals, the best of the sheep, the best of the cattle, and they kept it for themselves. So, Saul didn't carry out the command of God. And so when Samuel knew about it, Samuel was upset. And Samuel came to Saul and said, what did you do? Didn't God give you very clear commandment that you are supposed to destroy everything? But Saul gave the excuse. He said, no, Samuel, you see, we keep the best of the sheep. We keep the best of the rest because we want to offer a sacrifice to God. You see, you think by just offering sacrifice to God, by worship to God, this is just lip service. But the heart is far from God because you are not obeying the command of God. So when Saul began to give excuses, hey, hey, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me, you know, uh, uh, Samuel. All these uh, best of sheep and ram are actually meant as worship to God. What nice excuses. But do you know what the Samuel tells Saul? Let me read to you from the scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I'm going to read to you verse 22 and verse 23. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifice, or your obedience to His voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of ram. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshipping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So Samuel is telling King Saul, you know, don't try to bluff. Don't try to give your name excuses. You can say it's for worship, but you don't really have a heart of worship. You are worshipping God in vain, and because you do not fear God, by not carrying out the command of God, God has rejected you as a king of Israel. And King Saul realized that he was caught red-handed. And then he began to confess. He admitted in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24, then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instruction and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. So Saul said, yeah, instead of fearing God, I fear men. I fear men. And because I fear men, I did not carry out the Lord's command. So God rejected Saul as king because he rejected God's command. Saul chose to obey, chose, uh, Saul chose to disobey the command of God, but he gave in to the demand of men. That's what the fear of men did to Saul. Now, why was Saul afraid of the army? Wasn't he the king? You are the king. You are in command. You are in control. But why are you afraid? Yeah, some people say maybe Saul was just giving excuses. It was not real. 
Well, whatever it is, he said it himself. But perhaps he was afraid that he might lose their support too. Because, don't forget, there was a young man rising up called David. And perhaps Saul was afraid, how? If these people, if I don't give in to their demand, if I don't, you know, award them handsomely with some spoils of war, they may just turn away from me and go to the young man David. You see? I saw maybe because of that he was afraid that he lost their support. He failed to trust the Lord. He forgot. He forgot that God once told Gideon, I turn the 30,000 army away. I will choose 300 and with the 300, they won the war because they trusted the Lord. And he feared that the people, he feared the people more than he feared God. That was a problem of Saul. He honored his army more than he honored God. And from then on, you realize that Saul's life was sparring downward. It was going down and down. When there was no fear of God in his heart, it was open to the attack of the evil spirit. He became depressed. He sought after witchcraft at one point of his life. And he eventually died a tragic death. He died at war together with his sons. When was the time you give in to the demand of men because of the fear of men? You know, there's something you ought to do that is right, that's pleasing to God. But there are other people tell you otherwise. And because of the fear of men, you give in to their demand. Let's take it. Case study number two. And there were this group of Jewish leaders who failed to confess Christ. You know, Jesus, while on earth, he had performed many signs and wonders, and he had captivated the heart of many people. His teaching was full of authority, and many were drawn to him, including some of the Jewish leaders. But there was a problem. There was a problem. In John chapter 12, verse 42 and 43, say, many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they love human praise more than the praise of God. You see, when you begin to please people, you realize that people may turn your heart away from God. So yet, this group of religious leaders, they are not just a common folks, you know, they are the religious leaders. They actually believe in Jesus. Remember the guy by the name of Nicodemus who came to Jesus in the night? He was a Pharisee. He was one with authority. And he came to Jesus at night. Why? Because he don't want other people to see that he was coming to Jesus. You see, they, they were actually believing. And in the Gospel of John, you also read that there were some, you know, uh, 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 elite group of people who followed Jesus secretly. Why? Because they're afraid. Just like this group of people, they're afraid that the Pharisee will kick them out of the synagogue. Why are they afraid? They were afraid of Rejection. So they dare not identify with Christ. If they identify with Christ, they will be accepted by Christ, but they will be rejected by the Pharisee. They will be, re they will be kicked out of the synagogue. Also, therefore, they were afraid. They were afraid of losing their position because here you say that they are some Jewish leaders. That means they hold their decision. They got some authority. They got some power. They got some position. So to them, the recognition from men is more important than recognition from God. So they have a wrong sense of value because they want to hang on to their power. They want to hang on to their position. 
They were afraid of man, the fear of man. They did not want to be seen with the common people, perhaps. You know, somehow there was some kind of a, in the society, there is a mentioned kind of a class. That's why you say, oh, these are the common people, these are the elite group. So to be, you know, as a Jewish leader, they feel that we are the elite group. We will walk separately, we will talk separately, we will have a separate group of friends. Those common people, those fishermen, those carpenters, you know, those farmers, they belong to a separate group. Unfortunately, sometimes you see that, right? And you may not have a black and white caste system or class system, but sometimes, and we also know, there is an unru unwritten rule, unwritten line drawn between the common folks and certain elite group of people. And so that was what happened. And maybe because they already belong to this group, he said, if I am to be rejected by them, you know, and I don't want to be seen with these common people, you know, I am of a higher class level. Sometimes people do that. And so for the fear of men, they dare not confess Christ. How many times we fall into the same trap of wanting men's praise more than God? We seek man's approval instead of God's approval. We do certain things to please people. We do certain things to please our husband or our wife or our children or our parents or our friends, but may not be pleasing to God. Now maybe, for example, you go to the pub just to please your friend. And you hold back, you know, from helping the poor and needy because your family are pressuring you, you know, uh, to, to indulge in some luxury. You fail to share Christ even though you have the opportunity because you want to be in your friend's good book. And many other occasions, we find that we are trapped. No wonder the Bible tells us the fear of man proved to be a snare. We thought we'll find safety. We thought we'll find acceptance. Uh, we thought we find security when we have a lot of people with us. But the Bible tells us that it becomes a trap to you. You get trapped. But the one who trusts in the Lord is the one that is safe. And case number three, Peter. Peter, for the fear of man, he compromised his principle. He compromised his principle. Right, let me give you some background information. We know that after the death of and the resurrection of Jesus, and when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, they went all over town and they began to preach the gospel. The church grew, and it grew so much, you know, right, that uh, the Christian faith became a very strong influence in the society, in the community of the day. And the gospel was even spread to the Samaritan, to the Gentiles. And uh, during this course of time, God raised up Saul, right, who later on changed his name to Paul, and Paul, you know, was saved by God miraculously, and God has called him to reach out in particularly to the Gentiles. And when God asked him to reach out to the Gentiles, people know that Paul was considered as the apostle to the Gentiles. And there were times, you know, even the, the, the church leader during that time, they were having a tension between Jewish Christian and Gentile Christian. Why? Because Jewish Christians, they have their whole set of laws with them. They will go through the right of circumcision. They will have their, you know, kosher food, halal food. And they have all kinds of rituals that they were still in their mind. They were not fully transformed yet. And some of these Jewish Christians were still wanting to hold on to that. But that the Gentile Christians are free. 
And Peter himself knew very well because God has sent him, you know, to even preach to the Gentile, to the Cornelius household, and so on and so forth. So Peter knew that salvation is not just meant for the Jews. Salvation is also for the Gentile. And Peter knew the very principle that the Great Commission is inclusive. It's inclusive of all people. He knew very well. But, you know, so when he was, you know, uh, in his teaching, in his preaching, in his association report, he got no problem. He can eat with the Gentile. He can sit with the Gentile because he had entered the homes of the Gentile. You know, so to him, it was all right. But unfortunately, there were this group of Jewish Christians who are still bound by the law. And they say that, well, if the Gentiles want to become Christian, they too, you know, must go through the rite of circumcision. There was a great debate. And of course, you know, the answer is no. Paul knows that it's no. Peter knows that it's no. So Peter all along has no problem. But then, at one point in time, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, here it says, but when Peter came to Antioch, Paul said, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. Now, this is what the Bible tells us in verse 12. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentile anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Wow! You have the Apostle Paul talking about the Apostle Peter who was one of the closest disciples of Jesus Christ who walked with Christ for three years, who ate with Christ, who witnessed the resurrection of Christ, whereas Paul came much later, right, who has a vision of Christ but didn't have the privilege of walking with Christ for three years. And then he dared to tell Peter straight to the faith. You know how well-respected Peter was or not in the early church? And he told Peter, you are a hypocrite. Wow. And it is recorded in the Bible for ages. For you and I to read it. Wouldn't it be embarrassing for Peter? You see, hey, Paul, give some face. Why write it down? Show some respect to Peter. But Paul was no nonsense. He said, because of your hypocrisy, you even let other people astray. That is the problem. When the leader's hypocrisy will, let pe- will lead people astray, even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, will be led astray by Peter. You see how influential Peter was? And the reason why Peter did that, why he compromised his position, why? Tell me, why? Say it out. He was... Afraid of criticism of man. Fear of man proved to be a snare. Why did Peter behave in such a manner? Why was he afraid of criticism? 
Why are we afraid of criticism? Are you afraid of criticism? Many times we are afraid of criticism because of pride. We have our pride. Uh, we think that we are right and we do not want people to criticize us. Uh, pride. By then, Peter would have gained quite a reputation, a good reputation as one of the head of the apostolic band. He was highly respected by many people. He was a spokesman of the apostle. He performed signs and wonder. He dared to go against a religious leader when under persecution. Uh, but strangely, when he came to the circumcision group, Peter took a different stand. When the Jewish leaders would persecute them and say that you cannot preach the name of Christ anymore, Peter dared to say, we rather obey God than men. But when it comes to the circumcision group, he compromised. Maybe he finds that now I'm somebody. Now I have become famous. Now I have become, you know, uh, 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 popular. Now I have a following. And therefore, I want to be accepted by all people. He compromised. Paul, on the other hand, rebuked Peter in front of all. Paul indeed feared God more than men. He don't care if you are a greater apostle than him. But he feared God more. He chose to please God more than men. So when we look at these three cases, church, we may find ourselves caught in some of those situations. Have you been caught in some of these situations? Whether it was a situation like King Saul, like the Jewish leaders, or like the apostle Peter, to do the right thing is not easy. It is not. Because the world has been doing the wrong thing. So for us to do the right thing is not easy. It means that you feel so alone. Sometimes you mean that you, are, you mean I have to stand up alone? And it's not easy to stand up alone when nobody stands with you. It makes you feel so lonely. It causes you to question if you have done the right thing or make the right choice. When you come to an intersection and when you're supposed to you know, determine which path to take and when you take that, I think this is the right path and when you begin to take the right path and when you walk on further and you turn around and you see there's nobody following you and there was nobody walking with you, you begin to ask yourself, you begin to question yourself, why is there nobody following me? And then perhaps, you know, you turn back. You went on the other direction where the crowds are. You said, wow, now I feel safer because these are where the crowds are. No, I'll feel accepted by them. But do you know what Jesus said? Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate. And broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate. And narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Sometimes we turbulate, we turn back. Why? Because of fear of man. We look at man uh, and we begin to lose sight of God. Church, let's put the fear of God in our heart. Uh, oftentimes we give in to fear of man because of security. We wanted to feel secure. And to many people, you feel safe when you have many people with you. But many people may be wrong. They may be as lost as you are. Just like the 12 spies. The many were wrong. It was the two who dared to stand up that were right. In Proverbs 14, 26, those who fear the Lord are secure. He will be a refuge for their children. Our security does not come from men, but from God. I want to encourage you, church. Therefore, fear God. 
and no man. I have more points, but I'm not even, you know, uh, talking about it. I will, I will prepare my next message. That's how the fear, God-fearing man will have a God-fearing lifestyle. Uh, that's, that is a wonderful message by itself. But today, I just want to ask ourselves, am I a God-fearing person? Do I have the fear of God in my heart? Of all the fears that we have, the greatest obstacle to fearing God is the fear of man. It's not the fear of cockroach. It's not the fear of insect. It's not the fear of height. The greatest obstacle to our fearing God is the fear of man. Take heed of that. We know that the power of God can deliver us from all kinds of fear. But the fear of man is of a different dimension. We put the fear of man above the fear of God, and that's why we face many problems in life. Oftentimes, the biggest enemy is not even man, it's ourselves. We fear man because of ourselves, right? Of our personal lack of security, of our personal lack of acceptance that cause us to want to seek the approval of man. As a result, we fear man rather than, than God. May the Lord help us to fear Him. May the Lord remind us right, to honor Him. And, and may the Lord remind us that the approval of God is far more important than the approval from man. And let's encourage ourselves with some of these verses in Proverbs 14, verse 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snare of death. The fear of man is a snare. But the fear of God will actually help you to avoid the snare. It's a fountain of life. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 6, And he will be the stability of your times, a well of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. You know? and, 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 and it's so wonderful to know that God is our stability. In a time whereby we feel so uncertain, in a time you know, where we feel it's so shaky, but God Himself is our stability. And finally, Proverbs 15, 16, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Fear of the Lord is great treasure. And I trust that this message will help us to regain our compass, our direction, and making the right decision today, whether we choose to fear God or otherwise. How do you check yourself? Do not pay lip service to the faith. Do not pay lip service to our God. That is not the fear of God. You can do all the religious things, but that's not fear of God. The fear of God. If you have the fear of God, you will live with a good conscience. You will continuously to choose to do the right thing. And you will not fear men.